Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, guys, we are in the food service world, and you guys are going to absolutely love my guest. You're going to learn so much today about this industry and about what's trending and really how to do it right and how to scale. It's going to be a key word for today. On the podcast today is David Bloom. He's the Chief Development and Operating Officer of Capriati's and WingZone. David, it's so great having you on the podcast. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate you having me on. Dude, I was excited to meet you. Um, super excited to learn more about you and, and, I, and your background uh, and your success in this industry, which is just booming right now. I can't wait to unpack all of that. But let's do this first. How about share with our audience a little bit about you, how you got into food service at Quiznos and like what was the early days look like? Yeah. Well, I kind of grew up in the restaurant business in New York. As a matter of fact, my brother's still an executive chef. My, one of my sisters is a pastry chef. And I spent my early years trying to figure out how to get out of the restaurant business because it was so much work, you know, and this, these were the old, old school days before <laughs> celebrity chefs or anything. And so, uh, but once I, after about 10 years of it, I figured I was pretty good at it um, and had a lot of experience at a very young age. And so I would take advantage of it. So um, I've been, you know, in and around the restaurant business for probably 40 years, maybe a little longer than that. Um, but have also worked in other verticals over the years. And really, frankly, I think that's been really beneficial that, you know, education and home services and nonprofits, it's really good to have a, a little bit broader totally. perspective on things as well. And that's helped me over the years. Yeah, I saw that in your background. Not only did you spend, what was it, 19 plus years with Quiznos growing that brand, but then a number of other industries, which is powerful. Probably gives you a better perspective too, um, as you've taken on, on the role here. Um, talk about your early days in the, the food service space. And then what did the industry look like then? And then what does it look like now? Yeah, I think when I grew up, restaurants were primarily independents. Um, I worked for, I grew up working for a great company in around the New York City area. Uh, and they were, you know, upscale wine family, the Rothschild family owned some really nice restaurants. And so I grew up in that sort of upscale dining. And, and uh, but I also stumbled into a restaurant job with Chart House restaurants that most people probably haven't heard of, but they were one of the very, very early sort of national brands. And, you know, they were running their kitchens without chefs, without any really high level talent and doing huge numbers, you know, sure. back in the day. So that kind of got me turned on to, hey, you know, this is a business, a real business, and uh, really intrigued me. I, I, I went to UNLV, uh, you know, for hospitality and came out and worked, I for Brinker, uh, worked for Norman Brinker during the go-go years of steak and ale and Bennigan's. Oh, nice. <laughs> you know, really, what I, what I loved about that is, I got a tremendous amount of responsibility at a very young age. I learned sure. how to run P&Ls and run, you know, run businesses in my early 20s. And they would give you as much as you could handle. That was a great opportunity for a young guy. And uh, so, I, and I've been candidly just fortunate to work for incredibly great people. Um, you know, actually, I, I'll mention a side note. Interesting. I, in my management training with Benningans, I worked with Kent Taylor. 
who recently passed away, who was the founder of uh, Texas Roadhouse. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, you you know, it's just the people you meet along the way, I guess, totally recurring theme for me. Um, that, you know, the thing that I enjoy the most is the relationship. I totally agree. I found the same thing. My path in my career has largely been in consumer products and retail, a little bit on the food service side, but mainly on the on that side of the business. And it has absolutely been all about relationships throughout and that common thread. Um, and people, you know, pop up in different places and, and, and you can leverage those relationships in different ways and they call you for advice. It's really cool. <laughs> um, I love it. And that's it's one of the fun parts about you know, the, these industries. Um, how has the food service world changed or has it, is it pretty consistent from, from your early days you know, or quick serve restaurants or fast kind of fast casual to now, or what's, what, what's been, um, some of the trends you've seen around just the overall industry? Well, I would say from a macro standpoint, restaurants, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, were actually great investments, you know, relatively low capital investment. Um, really good returns when they worked. Um, and, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs got in it and did really well and built significant companies. Sure. Then over the years, the, the margins got slimmer and slimmer. And candidly, they were not such great investments. That still had the risk, but didn't have the return. Got it. And, um, you know, when technology got introduced, probably started getting introduced 10 years ago or so. Restaurants were pretty archaic when right. it came to, you know, to tech and using data. And, and um, a lot of the bigger restaurant companies were run by kind of old school people that have been around for years and they didn't really understand it. So um, I think, you know, Panera, Starbucks, sure. um, a, lot, a lot of those companies were, you know, front runners in developing dominoes, front runners in, you know, you know integrating technology. But that's, that's the big difference is... A restaurant today is is essentially a technology enabled service provider. Got it. Well, that's an interesting way to, to describe it. I don't know that our listeners would have thought about that. You know, um, so fast forward a bit. You're you're now in these leadership roles with you've got Capriati's and Wingzone. Uh, talk about those two brands and where they are today, and then where we're headed with those two. Well, Wingzone um, is a recent acquisition, um, so I'll start with Capriati's. Capriati has been around for over 40 years, started on the East Coast. Uh, we're in about 25 states today. We've got, you know, north of 250 shops in development today. We'll open probably 40 or 50 this year. Um, and it's just been on an explosive growth curve. Sure. It's, it, we're an upscale sandwich provider. We literally roast whole butterball turkeys in shop. You know, and butterball raises a line of turkey called the Capriati Super Tom just for us. Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's cool. Yeah, so it's really all about the food. Yep. And um, we win Best Cheesesteak Award no matter where we go. And, and it, we have great food and a very loyal following for generations. Uh, Wing Zone, which has also been around for a long time, we've got 70 restaurants, half in the U.S. and half uh, international in five different countries. Got it. So we're really just starting to kind of take that one, you know, scale that one, so to speak. Sure. To, to, build a national and then international brand. Um, but Wing Zone, um, with only seven restaurants, 70 restaurants is actually the number two fast casual behind Wingstop that has close to 1,500. Wow. So, you know, the gap between the number one and number two is monumental. Got it. Um, 
And our plan there is to make sure we're the undisputed number two and kind of take it from there. Got it. Um, Perfect setup. So back in your Quiznos days, I had read that you grew what was a small regional brand from 18 restaurants to over 5,028 countries. Unbelievable numbers. And here you are with these two brands. I I feel like, and I may be wrong, but like at a a current state with a, a future state of scale and growth in mind, how do you think about that? How do you think about the franchise model? Like, what does that look like in terms of how you empower that growth? Yeah, I started actually with Quiznos as a franchisee. It's a multi-minute operator. Oh, very good. Okay. And never planned on working for the company and, and didn't, you know, I grew, you know, very substantial territories and owned a bunch of stores and was really more entrepreneurial um, before I joined the company probably 10 years later um, and really was part of a team that kind of took it to the next level. Uh, to the point where we're opening close to a thousand stores a year. So unbelievable, unbelievable. But, you know, I, I worked for great people. They gave us, you know, just tremendous opportunities and a great group of folks. And I really learned that, you know, process of how you scale companies and how you really think about growth um, strategically, taking market share, going international, all those things. And but there's no better you know, teacher than experience when it comes to that. And we always had to kind of every six months year, we were sort of recracking the code. How do we take this to the next level? How do we, you know, look, looking for gaps and looking for, you know, really creative ways to fill those gaps and solve problems that nobody had solved before. Sure. Um, so that was a tremendous experience. And, and you know, I, I got, again, got to work with some incredible people for some incredible people that I'm still very close to today. Um, and so I think it's the, you know, the confidence, the learning on how to do it, how to develop strategy. I didn't even know, frankly, I really didn't know what a brand was before Quiznos. Oh, wow. Interesting. And even still, and, when you were an operator, I mean, I don't know if you, it's not like you, you're in, like you, you're in the business of the day to day when you're the operator, right? You're, you've right. got, you've got shoppers, consumers coming through buying product. I mean, that's your focus, not like building the brand, right? Yeah. But I would also say that Everybody thinks they know the meaning of the word brand, but I'm not sure they really do. <laughs> and I, so I think really understanding what a brand is, brand promise, brand voice, brand messaging, what consume, you know, what cons- how consumers pursue. I really learned that there and then str- and how to develop strategies. I, I learned that I didn't I, I was not strategic in my thinking. Um, Interesting. I was, okay. all, I was all about execution early on. Sure. And uh and going fast. And I learned and continue to learn, frankly, um, how to be more strategic and really kind of try and place the boat ahead of the wave instead of right. always try, trying to catch the wave. Um, and so that's, you know, technology, that's, it's all, that's what technology is about, is how do you position yourself ahead of the curve. Got it. One of the things I read that you had shared was that you don't believe in motivating people. You'd rather find motivated people who are passionate about winning and want to contribute to the success of the brand. Um, and that you are not the best entrepreneur, but you're a great scaler. Talk about the people part of building a brand, especially as you're thinking about Capriati's and Wingzone now. Yeah, I think number one, people that think they can motivate people are fooling themselves. <laughs> Got it. You know, you. It's you're either motivated to get at it, you know, look what you do. You know, how many people say, I want to, I want to, you know, have my own podcast. Right. But how <laughs> many true. of you are willing to actually do all the hard work that you've done? It goes into it. Going, yeah, right? no like, doubt. Yeah. <laughs> no so doubt. I think that's number one. So, you know, my goal in life is I spend a tremendous amount of time recruiting 
and often are talking to people for a year before I bring it off. Wow. Um, and because I find like that's, that's sort of the first P and what, what I would call the four P's is people. Okay. Um, and so I think that's super important. Um, and I, and if you get the right people, um, put them in the right seats, yep. then you have a tremendous foundation that you can you know build on. If you, until you do that, you're just building a house of cards. Um, oh, so for that. me, it's really all about people. Um, what was the second part? Well, I want to walk. I, I want to walk down your four P's. Now, I, okay. my first question was around you know you finding motivated people versus motivating people. At, um, finding motivated people and people passionate about the brand, you putting them in the right seats was part one. But walk through your other P's. I can't wait to dive into those. Yeah, and I learned the four P's and then added a fifth one over over the years. I learned the four P's at Quiznos actually. It was people, process, um, product, and performance. And so, you know, once you have the right people, a, a great process that continually gets refined sure. will we'll take a good person and make their performance outstanding. It'll take an outstanding person and let, it, let them hit it out of the park all the time. Okay, so let me dive into that. What, what do you mean by process? Well, I'll give you an example. We utilize a program called EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System, and the, plaf- the actual management platform is called Traction to run our entire company, to plan, to strategically organize, to you know, focus our resources and make sure everybody in the company is aligned around what our strategies are, what our deliverables are going to be quarter by quarter, year by year. So we have you know, a 10-year, a five-year, a three-year, a one-year, and a quarter-quarter by plan, and everybody in the company has a number they, you know, and has rocks to deliver every quarter. So that's that's a process that you know enables sure. you to go really fast and keep the wheels on the bus and make sure everybody in the company is heading in the same direction. So perfect. That's, Love that. that's a good example of a process. All right, product um, is product like the food product? So the wings, no, the actual. Or, okay, product is really strategy. Okay, me. got it. Um, you know, it can apply to any business, but how are you going to market? What are you bringing? What are your points of differentiation? You know. And a lot of times, you know, you've been in business a long time. People tell you they have a great business model and they're bringing something to market that no one's ever done before. And you're like, no, that's been done like a thousand times. Right? <laughs> it, it's, not, sure. it's not that different. Like right. really understanding your, your product, your strategy, your go-to-market plan and, and, and making sure that that's, you know, that really is going to put you where you want to go. Because that goes back to working smart versus just banging the head against the wall all the time. And the last one is performance, is really having a key, uh, you know, KPI, scorecards, really knowing um, what, what are the metrics people should, should be performing at, having visibility throughout the organization on how people are performing sure. and constantly raising that bar. Like you, if you do the same thing over and over again, you're not going to get anywhere. So, and then the last one I've added over the years is profit. If you do the f- first four, <laughs> profit, you, will yeah. be, you will be outrageously profitable. Um, but a lot of people go straight. They want to go straight to profits and they don't build a team. They don't right. have you know, a, right. a great process. They don't really have a great strategy. They don't really know their performance metrics and how they're actually doing versus how they, they may not even have a budget, never mind. You know, right. KPIs. Wow. And nowadays, having you know data, access to real time data, those kind of things are just sort of table stakes. Sure. Now, how does that, okay, so great when you're aligned and maybe the leadership of the organization's aligned, how do you 
translate that to potential franchise owners. So how do you ensure that you get the right franchise owners on board with that strategy so that they execute in the way that you want, right? I mean, I think that's a, a key, right? Yeah, Justin, I think that's a great question. And, it, and my answer is actually a little off uh, the four piece. It's We tend to run our companies as really values-driven companies. Okay. And so we align on values before we talk about anything else. Um, and my experience is what we do and how we do it is probably going to change over time. You know, our strategies, our opportunities, ghost kitchens and virtual brands and virtual reality and automated, you know, artificial intelligence, all these things are new, right? Right. But if you're aligned from a, from a value standpoint, you're probably, you probably see the world very similarly with your sure. franchise partners, with your employees, with your vendors, with your board members, and you can work through any of the issues that come up. And, and, and there's going to be lots of issues that come up. So we really focus on values alignment first and foremost. Got it. Um, and, and we try to be extremely transparent about who we are, what our mission is, what our vision is, what our values are, and where we're going. Like, and, you know, and, and we just find that if we let people know who we are, we're totally open about it, most people over time will make the right decision. Got it. Uh, and so that's, that's how we approach it. Perfect. And then how do you think about company-owned stores versus franchise, whether it be in your current model or a go-forward model? Is there a percentage yeah. you look for, or how do you decide that? Not a percentage per se. What we believe that we need to be in the same business as our franchise partners. So, I, I mean, I would say a lot of franchisors really don't operate any, maybe, you know, one or two. Sure. And we believe we need to be substantially in the business. And that, that kind of aligns us day in and day out on what we're looking at. If we make decisions that adversely affect the profitability of the stores, we're the ones that get hurt maybe the most. Um, and so it's super important for us. Number two, it gives us a place to do all of our testing. And, you know, traditionally that was product testing. But right. Today, it's really more around technology. Technology in the store. That's right. And it's hard right. to get a franchisee to... <laughs> pony up and take the risk to put in all new technologies all the time. Right. And it's, it's expensive. It's complicated, disruptive, uh, disruptive. And, yeah. and a lot of times they don't work or right. they take two years to figure out how to make them work. So that's, it's a great platform for us to do our testing. And then it's a, just, it allows us to do our training, obviously of all new franchisees, but lastly, it gives us a place to develop people. Got it. Uh, okay. And, and so we're big, big believers in it. I will say we're not good at running company-owned stores that are far away from our corporate market and our corporate office. Sort of, they're just too far away, out of sight, out of mind. So sure. we, we try to limit it to places we can get to really easily or right. close to home. Yep. Um, so we can also be consumers of our own, right. of our own store. Or use it so, as like a model store. You know, yeah, for, by, that's kind of how we think about it. That's great. Um, one of the things you talked about earlier was the, the value of understanding brand and um, and that it's tough to understand that when you're an operator, right? Um, one of the things you, you've you shared with us um, before the podcast today was this whole idea of a 360-degree brand evaluation. Um, talk about how that plays out with you and your leadership team and what are the things you're looking at when you're thinking about the overall brand? Uh, two, two really good points, I think, you brought up. Number one, uh, when I think about brand, I think about brand equity, number one, from an ownership standpoint. You know, and I have lots of friends that own, you know, 50 of this or 100 of that. And 
Um, they've done very, very well in life, but really they've, they've built their wealth through the equity in their brand. You know, their, their stores are now selling. I mean, we have franchise, you see franchises selling today for eight to 10 times earnings. Wow. I mean, wow. crazy, crazy multiples that I've never seen before in my life. That's so, interesting. Okay. You know, that's, that's equity. And I always say, if I opened up a Dave's hamburgers and Justin, you opened up a McDonald's next door and I had better food, better service, I was better at everything. Over a 30 year period, who would have made a better investment? You would have, right? Right. Because like, of the brand. When I go to sell Dave's burgers, like there's not a lot of buyers. <laughs> um, and right. when you go to sell your McDonald's, there's a long line of buyers, right? right. So, Brand equity is, I think, a big, big deal, um, and, and so we try we try to brand everything, everything internally, even our training programs, our marketing program, everything we do is branded. Uh, from a you know, a, we we tend to do work with consultants to help us look at it um, because you really can't be an. I mean, I've been in this for a long time, and I am far from an expert in everything, and so trying to bring in best in class, world class consultants that have culinary, technology, operation, financial, you know, marketing, branding, you know, have expertise, you know, and deep experience. And they're working globally. So they see what's happening in China and Spain and, you know, Europe and the U.S. And so they, you know, they can bring that broader perspective and really help you think about your business and, and, and try and get some clarity around it. And so that's what we think about is how do we optimize the brand? Um, from a consumer standpoint, from an ownership standpoint, from a long-term positioning standpoint, how are we thinking about technology, both short and long-term? You know, it, it, it's really complicated, honestly. Sure. Um, I can imagine. And so, um, but I, I just love working with, you know, groups that help us do that because, you know, there's just a lot of genius going on at most companies. That's really cool. I'm sure it's a big, great learning experience too. Um, you're two different brands and two different segments of the food space, one in, around sandwiches and one wings. Um, wh- how are those, I'll call them sub-segments doing? Are, is there a lot of innovation and new entrants in, in each one? I feel like there's more in like sandwich in that world than on the wing side. Like, What do you see from a competitive standpoint or opportunity sure. standpoint? Well, we think of them as both being in our wheelhouse, which is really fast casual, yep. with, a, with a heavy focus on off-premise consumption. Oh, okay, interesting. Got it. So that that's sort of the commonality sure. for them. And then secondly, we look for brands that we can scale, that we can build nationally and internationally. So both of them really fit within our wheelhouse and what we're looking for. And they both have great unit economics. They both, you know, 80% of the U.S. population eats sandwiches right. and, and, and or wings. So they're, you know, they're not fads. They're not trends. Right. They're not exactly. going away. Yep. Um, and the innovation comes in in terms of flavors, products. We Like last year, I'll give you an example. On the sandwich side, we introduced um, Snake River Farms American Wagyu Beef as our only roast beef. I saw that on the website. You know, yep. it's the only, we're the only fast casual chain in the, in the country that I know of that that's our roast beef. It's the best you can get in the U.S. And, wow. you know, besides us, you got to go to a fine dining restaurant, you know, to get it and pay, you know, 150 bucks for a steak sure. instead of 8 to $10 for a sandwich. So, right. um, you know, that's innovation on the product side is certainly, you know, and flavors in both sandwiches and wings. But I think it's really nowadays more about technology innovation. So back of the house automation, robotics, sure. artificial intelligence, That's augmented and, and virtual reality. 
you know, we're, we're playing with all those things. I, I worked, you know, I don't want to give lots, you know, too much insight. I spent a day with a robotic company last year and we're launching robotics, you know, in the back of the house automation using cameras and sensors. Yeah, and totally. For both clients. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, as wages go up, you know, to $15 and, right. and we actually look at it and go, wages are going to go to $25 eventually. So like we need to be way ahead in, right. in terms of so if you can automate some activities, then you can plug that the, the higher cost into employees where needed. Yeah. And then really, you know, nowadays just finding employees is tough. That's what I was uh, going to, that was my next question was around people. Um, I, I mean, we're seeing across the board in all kinds of industries, either a lack of people or, or shortage of people, or they're not, I don't know. Are they in the market? Are they at home? I mean, why, where did everybody go? Cause now things are, have rapidly recovered in many markets and yet the people aren't there for some of these jobs. What are you finding? Uh, certainly we're finding that just like everybody else is, but I think it's relatively short term. I think when, you know, enhanced unemployment benefits right. and those kind of things go away, um, then people, you know, and they're not getting checks in the mail anymore. Right. You know, <laughs> need to get a to check from somewhere. Yeah. yeah. They're gonna have to go back to work. And I honestly I don't blame them. If I was getting check, you know, if I was getting checks and I hadn't, you know, had an opportunity, <laughs> you know, if I if I made fifteen bucks an hour and I couldn't take off, you know, very much time, you know, over the years, all of a sudden I have an opportunity to take a few months off and still get I'm like, oh, I'm gonna take advantage of it because I don't know when it's coming back around. Right. Yeah, no doubt. So I think it's a short term um, you know, issue, but long-term it's not, it, it's still, you know, finding the right people and, and, you know, giving and getting the kind of people we need, which are people that are very hospitality oriented, that's going to, that's going to remain a challenge. So automating those back of the house, repetitive, you know, jobs that people don't like to do sure. is, is going to help in that area as well. Fascinating. I mean, for all our listeners that are in technology, I mean, here you have, you know, food service industry 101, and and, and you just heard like a plethora of the top <laughs> trending technology elements, robotics, analytics, AI, machine learning. I mean, like a good on the list that's, that's coming into play, not just a nice front end register. Pretty amazing. I'm sure different payment methods and you walk in a store and, you know, offers on your phone. I mean, there's all kinds of potential in the store. Um, David, I always love to ask our, our our guests, like, what would be two or three of their biggest leadership lessons learned? And you've had, you know, a winding and, and diverse career. Like when you, you know, really sift it down and think about some of the, the biggest things you've learned that you'd share with our audience, what would be two or three of those? I'd say number one, being a, you know, really being inquisitive and being a, a you know, a continual learner is really um, probably one of the most important things you can do. Um, and you know, it goes back to people that are willing to put in the time, but I, I'm still old school. I have an iPad. I read, I don't listen to books on tape, but I, I work with people that literally are, you know, downloading audio books at three times speed. Wow. So, you know, I get in the car, it sounds like Mickey Mouse is talking, but they're, <laughs> you know, they're downloading information just so, so, sure. so much. And so I'm number one, read and Yes, business books, but also biographies of great people that have done incredible things and have been great leaders, whether it's Shackleton or, you know, any of the historical figures. And, and totally. when you read what they went through to, to be <laughs> successful, that's to me, that's incredibly motivating um, and kind of humbling. It's like, uh, those people had it really tough. I have it. <laughs> right. My definition is tough. It's a little different. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then secondly, I'd say, you know, I guess for me, um, being a part of a team um, is much, much more important than being out there and being, you know, the, the person that gets all, you know, all, all the accolades or the CEO or what have you. Totally agree. And so I love being part of the team and, and my philosophy for years has been, uh, remains, you know, working for the right people and with the right people is number one. Um, and what I do, you know, and, and what they need me to do at any given point in time, uh, it, it really doesn't matter. I can do whatever we need to do to be successful. So totally what you agree. get, in the, you know, what you get in the short run is much less important than who you work for. Um, because if you work with the right team, you're going to build an incredible success and you'll go much, much further than you ever dreamed. So totally you know, agree. I've lived that I've had worked for the wrong person in the wrong environment and it was stressful. And, and even though the firm was a big brand, it was, it was awful. And I have worked for amazing and talented people, people that I respect, appreciate, and part of that team. And you feel here, that's my place, you know? I'm yeah. I, I, I'm a huge believer in, you know, and it's why I work with the group I work with today. They're just incredible people and mentors and, and, supporters and they believe in me they care about me and my family and um you know i just i heard something the other day is you know they were asking if he had it was a oh it was the uh, coach at gonzaga basketball and they were asking him when he's going to go take something you know another job and he's like why would i run away from success like right. i'm never, <laughs> never going to have it better than i have it here i work with great people the school's phenomenal the community's phenomenal Yep. Program's great. Could I make more money? Yeah, probably. But like, why would I run away from success? And I, I that really hit home with me. I thought that was that was profound. yeah. I, when you find that sweet spot, I think it's one thing you learn and as you grow in your career that you when you find a place where you really love the people and what you're learning and the and love the product and whatnot that it's it's like hey maybe I really like this and don't need to just run to the next shiny object that's out there. Man, uh, this has been great, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, for those that are listening that want to find your local Wing Zone, you can go to wingzone.com. There's uh, here in Atlanta. There's one at Georgia Tech, by the way, just around the corner from where I live. Um, or capriotis.com. There's one here in Atlanta, but Kennesaw, which I I have not been to yet. Um, David, this has been so great. Thanks for sharing uh, so much with us today. Look forward to having you back on, and um, appreciate just all the the knowledge you shared with us and for joining us today. I appreciate the, you know, the opportunity, Justin. It's been great. Thank you. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.